Father Harrison, I'm tired and hungry. I mean, it's it's two o'clock your time. Did, did you, you obviously had time for lunch? I did sort of not have time for lunch. Why didn't I? I didn't eat lunch. Why didn't you eat lunch? Because I had other things to do. So I, uh, it's just I just why can't. Uh. Okay, no, it wasn't that bad. It's just it's just that I had an option. After the 12 o'clock mass, I could either eat food or make a bunch of phone calls so I didn't have anxiety later. Mm -hmm. And I decided to sacrifice the food for the lack of anxiety. But but here's the problem. When you have less anxiety, you get hungrier. It's true. It's super true. So now (laughs) I'm like, oh, I got those things done. I'm super hungry now. But guess what? There's no time because I have to podcast. You can just totally chomp on it like a bag of Doritos while we're recording. Are you okay with that? <laughs> Isn't this this audio content? I've got some bold checks mixed right here. <laughs> right, just chew right into the mic, please, for everyone listening. Mark, Let everyone listen to what's going on in your mouth. I'm like the extra dust on my fingers, and he's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. oh, Nick is gonna just love all this. <laughs> so, but you're feeling less anxious now. Yes and no. And, oh, okay. So, basically, I'm sorry. I, I put a lot of checks mix in my mouth. <laughs> hey, it was a great idea. bit. It was a great bit. <laughs> okay. It was a totally a great bit. So, I'm going to let people in on a little secret. A little secret. Well, Nick, Nick, put some intermission music in here. One second. Okay, okay. So, I'm back. Uh, <laughs> you remember, remember, like I don't know, months ago, months and months ago, when I talked about uh, quitting the nicotine, yeah. and that was really great. And for a while, it was really great. But you know what happened after that? You wanted to go back on the nicotine. I started going back on the nicotine again, mm-hmm. but I didn't tell anybody because I didn't want all you people saying, "Oh, Father Anthony, it's a bad idea." I know it's a bad idea, but I did it anyway. So, do what else is a bad idea, remember, folks? When you say that, what? your sin—that's yeah. a bad idea. Go to confession. Wow, also true. <laughs> okay, okay. So, I uh, remember when I got the flu a little while ago. Uh huh. So basically, for like three days, I was too sick to ingest nicotine. And I realized, hey, this is a great opportunity to quit. So most of the withdrawal symptoms were either masked by um my flu symptoms or other stuff so like, okay let's just keep going and it's been good it's been good hmm. and so my appetite has come back which is really helpful mm-hmm. uh so that's been good so i've been hungrier but i've been like hungry like all the time hmm. are people hungry all the time normal people it depends i have i go through up days and down days about that you know some days like i'm also in that situation today of okay i, I could eat lunch or i could podcast but we have our reconciliation service tonight at a parish and mm-hmm. so there's usually dinner beforehand it's kind of early today it's like 4 30 so i'm like oh good I, I don't need to worry about lunch i'll have a little snack and i'll tie me over till dinner i can eat a big dinner but yes people actually get hungry they actually have like rumblings in their stomach saying feed me it's super annoying. I don't like it at all. But <clears throat> to get back to the other question, is like anxiety gone? No, I'm still like just last night. Like there was a simple phone call, and I was super anxious, and it ruined my prayer, and everything mm. was terrible. But but this is this is ordinary. This is what I deal with. Um, so yeah, that that how about that for some opening 
Father Anthony's life. That's, you know, it sounds like Lent's, uh, Lent's Lent. It's Lent, and it's like March, and it's been February before that, and after, before that was January. Uh-huh. I'm just angry about stuff. Hmm. And this is clerically speaking. Hi, I'm Father Anthony. I'm Father Harrison. So, kind of on a similar bend, but like I, uh, I'm taking on more and more stuff, and partially because I, I apparently hate myself and like to induce my own suffering over and over again. So this mm-hmm. is, you know, always a good thing. Um, but in a way, it's because I, I'm almost doing this on purpose because I need to force myself to organize my life. Right. And I need to force myself to make lists and to do things like outlines for articles and books and stuff like this. Uh, I need to do this because if I don't, the stuff I put out, my content's going to suck. Um, or at least it'll be mm-hmm. fine, but it won't be as good as it could be. Um, and not right. just that. I just I, I realize more and more order is important in life. So I, I tried something yesterday for the first time, uh-huh. and it was tough because part of it is personality. I'm a fly by the seat of your pants kind of guy. <laughs> okay. I'm yeah. just like, just just whatever needs to happen in the moment, let's just do it. And I just deal with it in the moment. And I don't, it's part of the reason probably why I don't suffer too much often from anxiety because I'm mm-hmm. not worried about what's coming in the future. It doesn't weigh on me because I just don't even think about it. Sure, <laughs> right? <yeah. laughs> That's helpful in one way. It's, it's not helpful in others. Um, mm-hmm. So I put into I made a calendar in my day and I said okay for this hour chunk I'm going to do this and for those two hour chunks I'm going to do that and for the first day honestly it was pretty it was 80% successful okay which is pretty good for a first day I was like okay this might be doable because then what I'm doing is I'm doing stuff like giving my secretary okay I'm going to plunk in office time because honestly Mm -hmm. like I'm in a smaller parish I don't need to be in my office too much it, it, I don't. Right. I'm not overburdened with billions of hours of administration. My, a lot of my work's more person work, which is a good thing. Um, but I'm like, okay. So then, when I put that office work time, put in the notes tasks that you need from me today, and I'll put in there tasks I need to do, and then whatever doesn't get done goes into the notes section for the next time in the office and stuff like that. So stuff like that works. Or when I'm doing my my doctoral studies, I'm putting my goal of what I want to do for the two hours of the day or whatever. And, and and then making and then making other lists. I just I hate lists so much, but it <laughs> but it works. Yeah. It works, and I know it's a work in progress. God bless, uh, God bless Fire Nick, who's just like just make a list, and I'm like, yeah, dude, that that sounds actually really easy. It, for someone like me, that's actually really hard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, but it's actually working, and it's kind of bringing some normalcy to my life and forcing me to say, okay, this is what I need to do, and to just do it in the moment because this is the other thing and i i, I kind of posted yeah. this about this the other day because as i as everyone is is aware of i've mentioned this before we did a whole podcast on this topic acedia is one of those large sins in my life it's mm-hmm. always you're the the sweet sin yes, of your yes life. it's just always nagging away at me and just saying hey you don't need to do anything right now if you don't really want to. You can just you can just do it at the last minute like you always do and be fine and everyone's going to love it. Mm-hmm. But I know deep down in my heart that is not the right way to approach life. And so I found this article the other day from like the secular source that kind of is actually kind of inspired this whole like little turn and I'm hoping it's a kind of a come to Jesus moment in terms of like life organization where it's 
it's talking about like motivation and and choice and how often we need to choose things. I mean, we, we know this. We need to choose things even if we don't feel like it, essentially. That motivation is often equated with the effective side of the self. And that ebbs and flows all the time. But that it has to go deeper. It has to just be simply a choice, which is in a secular way talking about the counteraction to acedia. Even if you don't feel like it in the moment, you have to choose the good, the good that's for yourself, the good that's for your relationship right. with God, and the good that's for others. And you do it for no other reason simply than it's good, even if it's going to bring us suffering. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why, but that was just like, oh, this is actually kind of clear, and that makes sense. And, I mean, it's only a few days in, and this is my tendency. I get really excited for the first few days. Let's, we're going to see where it's like in two, <laughs> two weeks when we record. You can check in on me. Yeah. But it's actually been so far so good. Just these little insp- inspirations and these little um, kind of decisions of life to help make life more ordered, to make it better for my, my ministry and for others. So we'll, we'll see how things go. Yeah, I think that's kind of the best thing, in my opinion, that one can do for Lent is taking up a practice that they can carry on past mm-hmm. Lent. Like taking up something that's like good now and will be good later. Like starting a new habit that they're going to keep. But even if you were to mess up, Father Harrison, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be a sin, would it? It would not. Exactly. So let's talk about Latin penances and sin and a bunch of stuff in the Summa Tweeta Logica. Summa Tweeta Logica. Summa tweet logica. Summa tweet logica. Summa tweet logica. We talk about logica. Summa tweet logica. The Summa Tweetologica is our segment, and that's not how you introduce it. The Summa Theologica was St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology, and the Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. And I've got this tweet from the great Father Ryan Hildebrand, and he says, Y'all know that your self-imposed Latin penance doesn't bind under sin, right? Right. And the answer is no, people don't know that. No, apparently they don't, but yes. Yeah. So, I mean, so to, to translate a little bit, let's say you give up chocolate for Lent, mm-hmm. right? Classic example. But then the Thursday after Ash Wednesday, you had a piece of chocolate. Do you need to go to confession and confess that? No, because no, it's not a sin. Now, like, for example, the church asks us to give, uh, not uh, at least Latin church, Church in the West, however you want to put that canonically correctly, we're not supposed to eat meat on Fridays, right? Mm -hmm. If you purposefully eat meat on Fridays, you don't just forget. If you do that on purpose, then that's a sin, Although, interestingly, in Uh Canada, the laws on Friday are the same for the entire year except for Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. So even on Fridays during Lent, we we could technically have meat here. That's how... That is how weak sauce we are up in Canada. That is weak sauce. Yeah. Anyway, okay. sorry. So, bad example of Canada. Yes. But <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is 
your Latin penances don't bind under sin. So if you fail, and this is, okay, okay. my brain's a little mixed up today, but this is really important because I'm, we need to stop having our spiritual life revolve around sin or no sin. Right. Rule or no rule. Like, yes, is it essential to avoid sin? Absolutely. Right. But that's not the entirety of the spiritual life. Like, we're missing this second half of searching for the face of God, of loving God and loving neighbor, of building up virtue and having grace heal you. Like, that's the that's the real, that's most of the stuff of the spiritual life. But so often we're like, I have to do this thing. If I fail this thing, and I fail at Christianity. It's not what Lent's about. Lent's not about you winning. Lent's not about your victory. Lent's about how we're all weak and we need Jesus. So we say no to some things so that we can say yes more to God. So stop freaking out about Lent. Amen. I mean, yeah, we, and not just this. I always say to people, like, I actually mentioned this in my homily on Sunday. I said, you know, it's funny. We always complain that the church has all these rules and we often ignore them. But then in its place, we create our own wacky rules, like this idea that we have to give up something for Lent. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me which code in canon law it says we must give up something for Lent? It, I, I wouldn't even dare to try. I, I can already see it. Ed's going to DM us say, actually, in code 942. <laughs> actually. Actually. Um, but I don't, I'm, I'm, we, it's not a binding, it's an encouragement. Yeah, it's a good it's thing. It's a good thing. And I think it's kind of replaced because there used to be more binding rules around Lent. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of the rules, folks, by the way, is not to do them for their own sake. But that they have a place, like, it's this idea that we're doing this stuff communally together as a one body, as a church, that everyone is sharing in this together for the good of the other. And so the church binds these things to us, but it's not, we got, like, it's not this individualistic approach. It's this communal approach. And so, but yeah, we need, like, you're right. It's about, like, even then, that's the idea. It's about building up a relationship and, and deepening our way, our, our, our idea of, uh, our, deepening our experience of God's love for us and yes. deepening our relationship with one another in the church. It's not a self-help time. And yeah. So if you gave up, like I gave up, like I, or didn't give up, I took on the idea of having a holy hour every morning and do mm-hmm. my, do my prayer time in the morning. I've already missed it once for sure. And I get like half of it one day. But mm-hmm. the point for me, the discipline is like, I'm not saying I need to do this all right away. For me, I'm trying to grow in it. I'm using Lent as a time to try and grow in this so that it can become a habit right. outside of it. Um, that's, a, that's fine. I, I mean, I, you can bring it up in confession, but it's not mortal sin, right? You, you made a promise to God and to the church and, or whatever that, and to yourself that you wanted oh, to. Oh, can we, can we talk about that for a okay. second? People need to stop making promises to God. <laughs> I am dead serious about this. Promises to God are really serious. Mm-hmm. Harrison, Father Harrison, when we made a promises to God, we did so in front of our bishop yep. at a big old mass. Mm-hmm. We made them forever with witnesses and all this stuff, you know. Promises to God are a big deal. And you shouldn't make them all the time. You shouldn't make them willingly. So what I mean by that is like, very often, let's say you sinned, and you've been sinning a whole long time, and you've been you've been sinning this particular sin, and you get so frustrated, you say, "God, I promise I'll never sin again." Why did you just do that? 
Did you do it out of pride? Probably. Because you're trying to prove to God that in some way, like, God, you are supposed to forgive me. You are allowed to forgive me because I've made a promise that I'll never do this again. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, of course, you're going to try never to sin again, but don't use your promise as leverage against God. Mm -hmm. And like this whole idea, like, I'm going to take up this promise and I'm by my own power and strength, never going to do this or that messes you up Mm -hmm. because guess what's going to happen? You're going to fail. Exactly. Right? So people get in this terrible cycle of I've made a promise to God about a, usually it's about habitual sin. I made a promise to God I'll never do it again. Not only did I do that habitual sin again because it's a habit and those things don't get broken overnight, but now I've also broken my promise to God so I can just like dive in this mud hole of self-loathing even more so because that's what I'm uncomfortable with and that's what I like doing. Just stop. And here's the other thing. Stop making promises. Promises in the end. That's where you should involve a priest, or a sp- at least a spirit, or go. at least a spiritual director of some sort. Yes, you know, because not all spiritual directors have to be priests. Um, someone who is an objective, or like if you're married, your spouse may sometimes be able to help you with this, right? Uh, the discernment. Mm-hmm. I want to take the like. I'll give you an example, and this is I think always for me have been for me a good guiding example, and this was a very serious promise in the life of Mother Teresa, where she made the promise under the pain of mortal sin. Uh, not to refuse God anything. Okay. That's a pretty big promise. And her spiritual director said yes to this promise for one reason. She was already living it. Mm-hmm. So she was just giving a concrete form to something she was already living. So promises shouldn't be the starting point. It's it's like marriage, right? Or any vow, really. A promise yeah. shouldn't be the starting point of you trying to develop something, but it should be the culmination yeah. of a life already lived. Right? Just as, I yeah. like that. That's helpful. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. That's a lot on Lent. Uh, let's. This is from. We'll keep the uh, presbyteral train going here. From okay. uh, Father uh, Stephen Brazel at Kitar Catholic. Consider ministry to the elderly, sitting with them, praying with them telling them about your day, listening to their stories, even if you've heard them before. No one deserves to be alone. And I thought, like, that was, it's, it's, it's a good tweet, and it's a worth worthwhile thing because we, first thing is, we're all going to be there one day, <laughs> and we may not understand <laughs> yeah. it right now, but it's worth kind of understanding the elderly and where they're coming from and what's where they're, what they're going through, et cetera. Um, but that that simple time of presence and like I, I can't tell you how many times I've sat with elderly people and I've heard that same story three, four, or five, six times. And it's not their fault. Maybe their memory's not that great. I mean, I say the same story sometimes. You know, I'm preaching sometimes, like, I can't remember, did I say this story to them before or not? So, you know, just you sit through it because you don't care about it's not about what you get out of it, it's about what you give to those in need and in need of God's presence. And uh, especially at the end of like we you know especially in Canada we, we are dealing a lot with euthanasia stuff and uh, one of the best remedies to it is to simply just be with people so that they know they're not alone yeah absolutely and that's that can be tough like I remember when I was in seminary um, one of my apostolic works one of my you know ministry type things that I had to do was um was go to the little sisters of the poor. Mm-hmm. 
And my job was basically just to visit people there mm-hmm. and talk with them. And it was so hard for my brain to like understand this because I felt like it'd be much like give me something to clean, give me something to do, give me something to accomplish. Right. But they're like, no, just go to this person and like talk with them. Yeah. And that can be a tough like to realize that just being present with someone and talking and it's it's an expression of, of love for the other person that that is real i mean i don't want to call it work right. but it's real yeah. and a lot of times we think it's not but it's it's very important so uh yeah i, I know that feeling um but yeah it, it's it's a great way to um and so yeah, i'm gonna, I'm, gonna well, I'm gonna give a little quick push on this so in your parish if you have yeah. the time my here's where a concrete place you can do this See if your parish needs help bringing a communion to the homebound. It is a very worthwhile practice. It's a weekly commitment. Um, but these people, for some of them, this is the only visit from a person they get every week because their family doesn't live in town or whatever. Um, and some of these people deeply love the Eucharist. And mm-hmm. and often people don't ask for it, not because they don't want the Eucharist, but they figure it's hard, so hard to get volunteers. Um or the priest is so busy that they don't want to be a burden. Um, so if you have the time, if you can spare a half hour a week to bring communion to one person, I think it's a good thing to step forward to, to do. And your pastor will love you for it. Because like here, yeah. we're, we're looking for more people because we have more homebound parishioners than we can actually bring communion to right now. And we bring communion to 40 people a week, right? So it's, you know, it's needed. So I encourage you to think and pray about that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, what you got? This tweet is from Wendy's, at Wendy's. <laughs> and it's, y'all gonna wanna get in on this breakfast. Has, hashtag Wendy's breakfast. And I'm not gonna say too much about this, because I have a whole other podcast called Spicy Nugs Podcast, and we'll be talking about this much more in detail and with much more finesse. Mm-hmm. But I had Wendy's breakfast the other yep. day. It's amazing. If I wasn't on this, like, trying to eat healthy sort of thing, I would probably be eating it every day. The only bad thing so far about Wendy's breakfast is that you can only get it for breakfast and you can't get every meal of the day. So I'm just real excited about this. I'm sorry because you don't have Wendy's in Canada. Well, we do. do it's just I don't have one in town. The yeah, closest one's sad. like an hour away. Plus, I mean, here's my thing. Like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, this is part of the reason I don't like breakfast is a lot of the foods associated with breakfast, especially eggs. I can't, I do mm-hmm. not like eggs. Like, I hate egg, I hate egg sandwiches and stuff like this. Mm. So I can't, I, I literally, can't, like, and when I say I hate eggs, like, I mean, I literally gag when I have to eat an egg. That's how bad wow. it is. I cannot eat eggs. It's one of the few foods okay, okay, I can't swallow. Okay. So, but this is the thing. This is what most fast food breakfast menus surround themselves with is it's, it's, egg-centered okay okay but do you like chicken yeah do you like bacon yes you obviously like maple because you're canadian the maple bacon chicken sandwich that's a breakfast sandwich uh yeah croissant it's (laughs) chicken so it's a it's a chicken burger on a croissant and now it's breakfast it's so good (laughs) here's the most important question how are their hash browns compared to mcdonald's um, literally, they're, they're, they they have these um, like potato wedges, like breakfast potato wedges. This is sounding more they more are, like lunch. This is the <laughs> well, it's it's like the um, it's like a breakfast okay. thing. Okay, um, it mm-hmm. is the best breakfast potato mm-hmm. that I've ever eaten. Okay, crispy. All right, delightful. I'll try it. Hearty 
breakfast flavor. I have to do a lot of driving the next few weeks, so maybe I'll try and stop by yeah. one end in the morning for some breakfast if, you if can. I can. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, uh, this is from Joe Slama. Uh, so he's quoting a tweet from uh, Father Thomas Reese. So I'm going to read okay, Father yeah. Thomas's, Let's do it. and then I'll read Joe's because it was a great little dig. So Father Thomas Reese released an article for National National Catholic Reporter. A modest reposal spread the priesthood by eliminating clergy, ordained priests for 10 years. The celibacy question becomes immediately irrelevant. Gender, too, one can hope. Some people who are very good at the role would be reappointed. And then Joe says, quote, you are a priest for tenure. And I just thought that that's nice. That's fun. That's fun. Yes. So I... I pretty much screamed and yelled when I read yeah, Father Thomas's yeah, tweet. So w- I I tried to read the article and I just like I, as you can tell I've been kind of on edge lately and I just couldn't read the whole article because I would jump out of the window. <laughs> but what he's basically saying is, hey, let's let's get rid of this idea of clergy. Let's just pick people to do the function of priests. You give them a ten-year, you know, uh, tryout period. And like anyone can be a priest, and if you're good, you get to stick in. If you're if you're bad, you, you know you'll you'll go away. But it's so crazy. Like it's it's very hard. It's this is very difficult for me because <laughs> there are people like this, and this guy's a priest, right? He's a Jesuit priest, and it's just like you read this opinion, and you're like, oh my god, your understanding of Christianity is utterly different than mine. And utterly different than the churches. How is this possible? What what do you like? For me, it's like what do you love about your faith? Right. Like, I, what what's what's the point? If you need, think you need to rebel or utterly change what the church has said for thousands of years, like why why are you in it? I, it, it blows my mind. So yeah, you're saying that you that you read this and you wanted to scream. I empathize. Yes. So my so for those who don't know, because this is an important distinction, there is two parts to being a priest. We are both a priest and a cleric. Ordination yes. is what admits you into the clerical state. Okay. What that all means and stuff, I'm going to leave that to can lawyers. But this, so he's what he's saying here is that we need to divorce the idea of clerical state from the priesthood. Okay, I understand. I understand. I don't think there's a uh, snowball's chance in hell that it's actually going to happen. But I get what he's trying to say with that. Okay, fine. But there's a deeper problem here. Obviously, I mean, first, I mean, there's the whole thing. Well, maybe even priesthood won't be reserved to just. Well, yeah, actually, he used the word gender, not sex, which is even more disheartening because there's, there's so much. There's so there's much, so there, much right? in this tweet that's wrong. That's why it's like it's coming from a completely different universe. Yeah, this isn't Catholic, to be honest. No. Like, this isn't holding to the basic. Like, actually, here's my concern with such pro- proposals because, folks, what, what it's also saying is that now I, I actually I couldn't finish it either. And I don't. So I have to be careful in presuming he's saying this. But does he presu- does he understand priesthood to be um, a a sacrament that remains? Mm-hmm. It, does he say that? Well, here's the thing. Uh, he, he, he talks about a modest proposal, yeah. 
And if he knows what he's talking about, that's an illusion. It's not modest. That's revolutionary. Rary, but a modest proposal. Uh, who's the Irish guy? Uh, I think he was a clergyman. Was he Irish? Oh my gosh, this is going to drive you crazy. One second, I'll look this up. Um, <laughs> well, while you're looking it up. Okay. Yeah. So. Oh, okay. I got okay. It. okay, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Jonathan Swift, right? He, he writes this parody essay called A Modest Proposal, where he wants to solve two things um, hunger and poverty. And the fact that there seems to be, well, basically, he wants to solve poverty. So his his modest proposal is that how about we just feed the Irish their own babies, right? Because they're having too many babies anyway. Okay. And they're hungry and poor. So how about they just eat the babies? That will solve everything. And the whole thing is a, it's a parrot, it's a satire, okay. right? And that's why it's called a moss proposal, and it's horrible. And he goes into detail about eating the babies and stuff. It's 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 a classic, um, but okay. it's purposefully satire. Okay. Okay? okay, read it sometime. It's great. It's it's very well written. Okay, so when someone says a modest proposal, part of me thinks like, okay, do you realize what you're referencing, and is this whole thing a parody? Like interesting, or is he being serious? So are, well, are here's we being my thing. Duped? Based on other stuff he's written, my sense is seriousness. Oh, yeah. It's not a very long article. I think he's being serious. Um, So, but here's the thing. Priesthood is forever. This is the... Here's the basic teaching of the church. When you are... When the bishop lays hands on you and completes the prayer of consecration, you are conferred forever into eternity. Priesthood is a permanent sacrament that cannot be removed. It's impossible. So, to say... The church is going to just let you exercise this permanent sacrament for 10 years seems to me be bonkers. Um, and it gets to the heart of like, like it's got bad, like, and this is what you're saying about the worldview thing. Cause like, this is my thing. It's like, this seems to be going against ba- what, what is required of a priest to hold by faith. And honestly, when I read stuff like this, I think, is he actually in communion with Rome? Oh, you see, the because thing is, he's and this yeah. is this is getting into serious. I'm not going to say absolute heresy, but it's it's getting into very rough waters that gets to start to question whether someone, when they're saying such things, are actually even in communion with Rome. Yeah, and this is the game, and this is the type, the tightrope that uh, some public figures in the church walk. Because you can't, like, judge someone's soul based on, like, a, 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 a you know, a theory piece that they wrote. Um, so, like, you got to be careful with that kind of speculation. But at the same time, you're writing this crazy thing. And, like, what's the point of it? What good is it going to do? Um, yeah. But here's the thing. Like, by putting it into writing, like, there's a... I, I was just trying to remember the distinction. There's a distinction between material heresy and formal heresy, right? Mm-hmm. So material heresy is, I'm just thinking about things one day, and I said to myself, you know, maybe Jesus has only got a divine will. The teaching is he's got a human will and a divine will, folks. So that'd be material mm-hmm. heresy. Did I put it into writing? No. Did I actually commit to it? Probably not. It was just a theological conclusion I came up onto my own. And then, but when I realized and I look into the teachings of the church, I realized, oh, wait, I'm wrong. Uh, I submit to the church and not to my own opinion. Formal heresy, though, is when I've formalized it, I've put it into writing. And that's my concern. When you formalize well, an opinion think, that's contrary yeah. to what the church basically teaches about ordination 
that's where it gets me to question his communion with Rome. Yeah, but the distinction isn't just the 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 format or the medium, right. because you can preach material heresy. Right. Right. It's it's like am I purposefully teaching something that the church says is wrong? Right. That's what. Right. That's the distinction yeah. between material and formal. But so if you're if your deacon or priest likes slips up and makes a whoopsie right. while preaching, doesn't mean he's like a formal heretic. The person has to know what they're doing is against ter- church teaching, which this guy's got to know. But it's it's in this language of like, oh, what about this idea? You know, this is an idea. Um, and then he it's he, just but it's uh, just he, it's, he, it's, it's uh, just it's he constantly writes like this, and and so it's hard yeah. for me to see how it can. It's it's it, I'm leaning more and more towards formal. Hmm. I mean, I'm not I'm, gonna disagree yeah. with you, but you have to be careful. Oh, I know, when you start I know, I know. Stuff no, I know, too, I know, I know. No, I know. That's what I'm saying. But that's the distinction that's going through my mind, and I'm I'm not making yeah. an absolute dis- declaration on it. I'm not in a position to make one because I'm not uh, I'm not part of like a inquisitive body to judge these things. We should be. <laughs> we should be. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's what makes me worried here is writing stuff like this is putting you in danger. Your communion with the church in danger. Right. All right. That's enough. And just yeah, as a, as a final yeah. thing, um, so this whole thing about like a you know give priests a ten year stint at being priests. Uh, my buddy John Blevins just posts underneath that, "Do marriage next." <laughs> 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 and when that goes to show you, like you know, it's just anyway. It was, it was a good critique. Um, um <laughs> hey, um, let's talk about how everything's bad in presbyteral <laughs> exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good, quite good. Indubitably. Mm-hmm. I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. It's the best part. Yes, yes. quite. Yes. That was such... Okay. Man, you just made people just want to tune in. Yeah, oh, people love it when you talk about how everything is bad. True. This you know? is true. We all this like to true. complain. This is true. Which is why I don't really want to do that. Okay? okay. That was an exaggeration. And this is stuff that's been kind of spinning around in my brain. And so I want to bring up and talk to you about it. Not so much because I want you to talk me off the edge, or off the ledge, I think is the expression, because I've already gone off the ledge. I'm in the bottom of a dark pit, but I'm also kind of comfortable sitting there. <laughs> so... <laughs> But but here's here's the thing. You know how, I and part of this came up. We were having a, a conversation with uh, the boys from the Crunch. One of the big things that we talk about on the on this podcast is how we're kind of anti programs, right? We're not in principle, but in a lot of like the common practice of a program. The idea, at least, that hey, if you do this, it will fix the church. You know, looking for the silver bullet. But I think. You can actually kind of go almost too far with that, and there's this idea if if I say that there's no silver bullet, mm-hmm. that will be the silver bullet that will solve everything. Right. Right? Like if I just do no programs, and if I get it, and if I know, and I if I listen to smart priests like Father Harrison and Father Anthony, and if I get this, then then the church can be fixed because, and that's wrong too, right? Mm-hmm. So I and also part of this is coming from the fact that I had no idea how hard priesthood was going to be. Mm-hmm. Like people told me, right? Like, oh, it's going to be real hard. I'm like, yeah, sure, that makes sense. Priesthood being hard, right? And I don't think anyone could have possibly prepared me for like the particular situation I'm in. 
Like, nobody could have predicted the PA grand jury reports. And, you know, people didn't know, at least in my, you know, seminary, that the Diocese of Pittsburgh was going to squish all of their um, parishes into, like, from, like, 200 to, like, 55 or whatever. Like, that's a different kind of difficult. And I'm talking with a lot of priests in my diocese and elsewhere where it's like, man, a lot of these guys are really hurting. Mm-hmm. And they're really tired and they're really worn out. And a growing frustration, and, and part of this is a, is a healthy realization too, because I think everyone who goes into seminary on some level wants to help the church, right? Mm-hmm. On, and even if you don't have like a Messiah complex, you, you feel like I want to be a good priest who does good priest things that will help people, that will spread the kingdom. That's what I want to do, which is normal, right? Mm-hmm. But what if, Father Harrison, what if we're not called to be priests in a time of increase? Mm-hmm. What if we're called to be priests in a time of decline? Mm-hmm. What if our ministry isn't to the newborn? Our ministry is to the one in hospice. Mm-hmm. What if things are just kind of sad? Mm-hmm. Like, what if your job as priest isn't so much success or your job as a faithful Catholic isn't so much success or your job as a Catholic with a family is to, you know, raise a perfect, wonderful family and all of your children sing the Salve in Latin. What if it's just pouring your heart out over and over again and getting almost nothing in return Hmm. from the world Mm -hmm. and from the people, people you love. Mm -hmm. And I think, and I don't actually mean this in a negative way, because the more and more I've thought about this, it's actually brought me kind of comfort, which I, maybe that's kind of it. Maybe it's not my job to worry about or care about what anything looks like from the outside. And yes, you preach the gospel to all nations. Yes, you go out and serve. Yes, you go out and minister to, and you might get like half a dozen souls and that's it. And maybe that's all God wants from you. And if that's the case, which I don't, I'm not even sure that's going to be the case for forever. That might be the case in my priesthood for the next 10, 15 years, you know? But what if that's, that, that, what I'm trying to describe, that's the yes I have to give to God. The yes of like complete emptiness and humility Mm -hmm. to this kind of sad situation that I have to minister in. Because I think a lot of people kind of feel this and struggle with this. Because it's not just priests, you know. I talked to, my goodness, a friend of mine who just got hired by a parish. And she experienced, you know, one of these big parish meetings about what's going to happen in the future. And she, you know, is frustrated by a lot of parishioners who feel super entitled to their church building and their mass time. Because why do they feel entitled? Because they've given money and they've gone to mass every Sunday. So they deserve this. And so she's disheartened by that. She's then disheartened by the fact that a lot of people are just complaining in the parking lot and saying terrible things about the priest. Mm. You know, these priests are given like, uh, so like this is a good person in ministry who feels that there's people in youth ministry who feel that in various kinds of ministry who kind of feel that, but what if it's actually okay that things are sad? <laughs> Does, that, does any of this make sense? Yeah, is, is, so a few thoughts are going through my head here. Uh, the yeah. first is, 
I think part of this idea, like where we have this kind of hope for growth and this need for kind of parish success, you know, evangelization programs or whatever that can help us grow anew. We are often judging ourselves by the standards of worldly success. And we see, and we almost have this sense that in order for things to be good, they must grow. Right. Okay. That is the way the world works. If because it, if it's not growing, you cut it off and you kill it. Right. A business is going down. You shut. It goes bankrupt. It shuts down. It's gone for good. So that's the first thing. It's like, and so that and that. Frankly, that is the mentality most people have, who go who go to mass every Sunday. Not mo- okay. A good chunk. Not, maybe not yeah. most, but a good chunk. And even us all to an extent, because that we're, we're so inundated with this worldview, it's hard not to think this way. And it's hard to see the spiritual reality in front of us. But I think this is the key. We, we ought to be judging the situation of the church, not by the standards of worldly measurements of success, but by the standards of the cross. Which means that there are times where things must die. And that's okay, because we are not a people who see the cross as something hopeless. We are a people who see the cross as the signpost of life, that it's now imbued with hope because of the resurrection. And so when parish ministries die, when groups that have been around for a hundred years that are national organizations are struggling to gain new membership fall down and, and cease to be, when parish ministries cease to be, when parishes have to close down, we need to learn to be okay with this. Now, at the same time, I'm not trying to say like, it should just give a bishop free reign to just close down whatever he feels like all the time and right, just say, yeah, yeah. close it all down. Um, but re- that would be illegal. Right. And I get the frustrations to a point about people, but here's the other thing. When we give to the church, we are not meant to give on condition. When we give that money away, it is gone. It is no longer ours and we have no rights over it. That's true charity. True charity says, I, I give it. And while obviously I'm not trying to advocate that a priest can just spend whatever he wants. And by the way, he can't, he's bound by finance committee policies to ensure he doesn't overspend stuff by the way. So it's like, it's not like he can do that anyways. You know, there has to be reasonable fiscal management and accountability in that regard. But if the parish says, hey, we have to, cl- we are, we're close. I know you give every week, but we can only have like one mass at this church now. And we say, but I give every week. And we're, if we're subjecting our giving according to what we want and what we deserve, we think we deserve, then we're not mm-hmm. giving out of charity. We're giving right. out of, we're giving out of utility. And that's not Christian. And, and uh, uh, part of this is, uh, is difficult, uh, you know, uh, I was I was looking through some of our emails, and someone sent us a question with the fact that like, hey, yeah, I I get that you should be obedient to your pastor, and but what if things are just really bad? In the sense, of like, what if like the people who are running the programs and the priests like they just don't get it? You see people leaving the church for like legitimate reasons, you know? Um, I think the argument can be brought up like, what if like it seems like the parish is doing nothing good and in fact is doing things bad not necessarily like immoral but just like super super weak sauce mm-hmm. and i kind i mean i i empathize with that argument mm-hmm. 
But then part of me is like, like I don't want to tell that person you have to stay at that parish and you have to give that parish money. I don't want to say that. But part of me is also thinking, if God wants to kill the parish, he will. Yeah. And you need to take care of your own soul. So maybe just give anyway. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <sighs> hmm. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, the other thing is we're, we often are approaching the reality of the parish again from a very north american standard as like a, as right. as a as a place that does service for us and even we say will the church meet what i think my needs are and then impose those needs on everyone right and i get it like pastors make weird decisions at time and i don't get it and and yet i where i'm trying to go with all this cuz i don't want it to be about kind of getting into the what do we do if the, we don't like the pastor type of thing and we got to be careful about all that stuff anyways but we've talked about that up to you yeah. yeah we need to like as a church we need to redevelop a theology again a theology of the cross that doesn't that is willing to enter into death but also recognizing death isn't the last word like again like i said a couple weeks ago about pope benedict's vision of a smaller pure church too often people see this as like a the end goal right as right. It, well that's what that's what we need to like almost make decisions to reach to for benedict that's not the end goal that's a that's a midway point that yeah the church is purified and the dead branches are removed she's pure and thus is able to reignite and restart again but here's the other thing folks and this is going to be the cycles of the life of the church when she's pruned and it's go and by the way pruning hurts like snip snip right it, it's gonna hurt <laughs> yeah <laughs> so <laughs> uh, so if pruning hurt, like if you're gonna go through this painful crucified life it's gonna bring about purity but then the church will grow again and then she will take on bad branches again and bad vines and that and then she'll need to be pruned again this is a cycle and it's and it's always been the cycle of the church and we're just in the we're in the we're in the beginning of the we're in just at the beginning of the pruning cycle and i think i think i mean i agree with that but i think sometimes we 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 look at something like the acts of the apostles and we make it into this myth of success because certainly a lot of the thrust of the acts of the apostles is you know growth a, a church that is really a pure and beautiful and right version of itself, right? There's community and giving and growth and courage and preaching and going out and baptizing and like, and we think this needs to be what the church is supposed to be all the time. Exactly. And I think sometimes we, we superimpose that without, without taking into account, like all those letters that St. Paul like wrote to the Corinthians about how terrible they were being, you know, and that came before the Acts of the Apostles. Right, and so I, sometimes I don't think we have a balanced like version uh, vision of what the church is. This kind of dying right. and rising within it, and that even um, and actually that in her dying mm-hmm. is when the church is actually evangelizing the most. Right again, the idea that martyrdom is the seedbed, it's the heart of the Christian life. Yeah, but this like some of the stuff I'm talking about yeah. isn't martyrdom. What I mean, it's 
but it's just like it's go ahead sorry us just yeah it's not the church dying right now is an experience of martyrdom at least it doesn't feel like it it's experience of like wow we had a lot of really lukewarm catholics and it might not have been their fault maybe it was the fault of lukewarm priests or for whatever reason and we find ourselves not understanding what the church is we find ourselves trying to rebuild um the traditions of the church you know we try to like look at her mind oh, that's a, I'll talk about that later but like we're trying to rebuild the church and we're failing and we're either becoming super rad trads or super weird liberals or whatever because we're lost and we don't have a, a, a patrimony that's been passed down to us like that kind of dying and falling away and pruning is a different kind of thing where there's it's it will be for the sake of growth but there's no growth right now right and this isn't everywhere this is you know you know mostly in the West um, that we see this. But the reason why, like, when I say all this, I'm not actually hopeless. Right. I'm not actually, like, it's it's sad, but I'm not super sad. Mm-hmm. It's actually a bit of a relief to kind of come to this conclusion. Hmm. Because Jesus Christ will take away everything so that we see he's the only thing we need. Mm-hmm. And taking away everything will be like, even taking away a lot of the good things. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that parishes in my diocese are being squashed, that's not good, mm-hmm. right? That's a sad thing, mm-hmm. legitimately. There's no upside to that. The only upside is that it, it kind of needs to be done. But like Christ isn't afraid to rip away everything from us he's not afraid to put us in a position where we will be angry and frustrated and lost so that we can come to realize that he's actually everything we need and deep down everything we want because part of me thinks like it would be real easy for me to be a good functional priest in an easy time mm-hmm. in the church because I'm fairly talented I've got enough like skills and such where I could go through the motions. People will be happy more or less with my ministry and that would be fine. Mm-hmm. And I would probably go to hell because I wouldn't be putting, I wouldn't, my heart wouldn't be where it was supposed to be. Right. But at a time where everything is like terrible and I have to really wrestle with this stuff, it's like, oh, I have to rely completely on Jesus. Right. Like I have to, there's no other feasible option. And that's what's going to make me holy. Mm -hmm. And I think that's not just for me. I think that's for a lot of Christians who find themselves lost and confused. And why isn't anything working? Or they're thinking to themselves, and this is, I mean, a lot of this is exaggeration, but it feels right. Like, you know, why are all the bishops bad? Why are all the things bad? Why are all the priests bad? And none of the priests can preach. And why? Well, well, it's so that you can you no longer have a choice to put your faith in any of those things. Right. Although, I'm going to fight back a bit there. Please. But these things are what mediates Christ to us. Yeah. You know, it's not, we're not Protestant. We don't just have a me and Jesus relationship. Our relationship with Jesus is always through the church. So I would maybe put it differently is that like these things get removed, not so much that we need to, and in a way to purify, maybe yeah, to purify our vision of, of who Jesus is, 
but always that's purified through his actions in the church so that I see in the lack, I see Christ there. And in, in, in the time where I have a priest or whatever, that Christ is there. Um, you know, because it, it, otherwise, my, my worry is what, with what you're saying is then it becomes this point where it's like, well, let's just tear everything apart and just become Protestant. No. I'm not, I know you're I not saying that. It, I know you're not saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, um, who is the guy from... Um, Oh, that community who was just accused. Um, Jean uh, Vanier? Yeah. Vanier? Yeah. Right, like... Or, like... It's not us who's tearing it down. I feel like... And it's not even really Christ that's tearing it down as much as Christ is revealing that it was already broken. Um, yeah, like, I know that Christ is mediated through these things. Mm-hmm. But he's not these things, right? Exactly. So it's about, re- maybe it's maybe about, maybe okay, let me try and rephrase this. It's about purifying our vision to understand how these things make Christ present without Christ being these things. So that we see Christ through them, but we know that Christ is bigger than the priest, mm-hmm. right? And so on and so forth. That he's, yeah, he's bigger than his church. He's more than his church. Um mm-hmm. So that you see the similarity, but you also then see the difference, the greater difference. If that makes sense. And I think, yeah, yeah. And I think there is a challenge here, you know, uh, in in obedience to his church, you know, because Christ on some level was, um, you know, his journey to the cross, he was obedient to all kinds of incompetent powers, mm-hmm. willingly so. Mm-hmm. Like he was in a sense obedient to the wills of the people who betrayed him, you know, in a sense obedient to what Rome decided to do to him. Mm-hmm. Like, the, and these weren't being obedient. He wasn't being obedient to like beautiful or good things. Yeah. Because ultimately his obedience was to the father. Right. Mm-hmm. So he was willing to accept all these like terrible things. Right. But we haven't let that sink into our hearts. So when the church starts acting bad, we feel like we can throw away the church. <laughs> when certain priests start acting terribly, we feel like we can throw away the priesthood to make it a tenured whatever mm-hmm. position. Right. You know? Um, and so it's like this double challenge of clinging only to Christ, but the only way to cling only to Christ is to still cling to the church, mm-hmm. despite the fact that so many of its members are really terrible and broken. Mm-hmm. Like, it's... I guess I've, I've said this before, but like the purification is happening. Mm-hmm. Like we keep asking for it, like no, this is actually it, and I think a lot of us are gonna miss it. And and, and you know, I remember too, like we were talking about Bishop Barron's book. Yeah. Right. He talks about how if we understand the church as the new Israel, then the workings of God in the Old Testament and His purification of Israel ought to point the way towards the church and us understanding what God is actually doing. God's executing his judgment on the church. Mm-hmm. Right? And and he's he's calling it to account to say refine like find your mission again. Yeah. Find it again. And 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 and, and at the same time like we're we're not trying to be like I think too binary because it's not to say that there can't be good pastoral initiatives, there can't be good outreach stuff right. and that we should just we should only just kind of stay in the church and just let her slowly decline right mm-hmm. but i agree i think there's like where are we putting our energy 
And I think right now it's this caring for a generation who really, right now, I would argue, I mean, they're the reason a lot of these parishes exist, right? Mm-hmm. And so caring for that generation as they're ending and entering these last years. And then, because here's the other thing, when this generation passes away in 15 years, um, the churches are going to be a lot emptier. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, you think it's bad now? Like, I'm mm-hmm. I'm convinced that we're going to have to close half the parishes in my diocese. Mm-hmm. Now, our diocese is a little different. <laughs> Because sure. everyone who's 65, once they're 65, they move here. So it might not quite be that way here. In that <laughs> sense, we just have the other problem. We don't get priests. Um, but when all the older generations die, they, they're the ones who are supplying a lot of the financing for parishes. They've been going faithfully for 60 years, 70 years, 80 years. Mm-hmm. When those people go away, that is because their children, as we know, Mm-hmm. The boomers tend not to go to mass. Yeah. So suddenly there's going to be a massive gap in parishes. And I think we're going to be for the poorer because of it. Yeah. And that's so like, that's the, okay. okay. Yeah. Like the, the image I, I'm getting, or, or it's almost like, so I've got this little patch in the forest, this little garden. And like, it's my job to take care of the little garden. Now, meanwhile, there's a giant forest fire rushing towards me. And I'm like, I feel like nothing I'm doing is important in this little garden because there's a huge forest fire. Shouldn't I be fixing that? And God's saying, no, that's not your job. Your job is to tend to this little garden until everything goes up in flames. Mm-hmm. Like that's the that's the like, it's okay, it's okay for you know. Um, I think part of this is just like letting my expectations of what priests are. Uh, become purified as well so like i preached something for daily mass i I had an idea for what i was going to preach and then i said ah no i'm going to talk about this and someone came up to me in the sacristy and said hey that's exactly what i needed today right and for me it's easy to be like oh good fine you know you know that's you know it's nice to i kind of brush those things off but what if that's all god wanted me to do today you know right like just to change my expectations of what priesthood is and what ministry is and what God's visions for his church is, or letting go of my vision for the church like my vision for the church doesn't matter so much yeah in the sense of like um this idea that's always supposed to be growing and exciting and all maybe maybe it's supposed to be quiet and you're just supposed to be by the bedside of somebody in hospice mm-hmm. and that's what God wants you to do right now yeah, you know, it's interesting. I have a friend who goes to a Latin Mass parish in D.C., and he's like, he loves his parish because his priest isn't worried. Like, And actually, a lot of families start to go there and stuff now. And his priest has no programs. Mm-hmm. Apparently, his priest isn't even that great of a homilist. Um, <laughs> but he's always in the church praying for his people. Mm-hmm. And when they need him for something, he's there for them. But he's not burdening himself with these extra things that aren't necessary. And part of, here's the other thing, these extra things that aren't necessary, a lot of times they, they actually do need to be burned down. Like we've talked about bureaucratic stuff before. A lot of the bureaucratic processes impede faith and we need to burn them down because they're not according to the mind of the church. They're according to the mind of the world. And so we just need to, I don't know. I'm okay with anxiety. And, and, and it's hard, though, and it's about communicating that to people. To, to, I think in a way, as a good pastor, as a good priest, 
the job then is to gently lead people to come to appreciate that fact and to yeah. understand like I can be honest in my town it's like you know I always hear well, young people young families we have some young families you know coming to mass and growing in their faith and people talking to me and stuff this is good yeah. but the fact of the matter is this town is 80% over 70 so no matter what new fangled thing you try in 10 years the landscape of this town is going to be vastly different and we have to accept that fact and it's like it's okay to say do you know what we're just gonna see where things go and i mean this is the hard the other thing that we've always been talking about too right because in the end it's like if god wants things to grow if we're disposed to his will he will make it happen and he will make it clear mm-hmm. to us what we need to do yeah but if, it, if there's no clarity maybe it's just yeah like you're saying be with those who are dying be with those mm-hmm. who are asking me baptized who want to be married who want the sacraments be with them but actually just be with them yeah and that's sufficient and that'll do a lot of good and you'd be amazed actually how much good that would do yeah yeah i think that's good that's stuff when we look back from eternity on on what we've done it's gonna be those things that matter the most mm-hmm. um so yeah even though you know it, um what I'm saying, what we're saying might sound negative. I don't feel like it is. Mm-hmm. There's something kind of freeing about, and maybe I haven't described it perfectly well, but um, there's something like, oh, it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, everything's in God's hands and you have a very little part to play. Mm-hmm. And that's, but that's good. And that's okay. You know, uh, like it's part of the thing is like, you know, uh, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you still have to walk through a valley that's full of shadow and death, right? Yeah. You're just, you gotta walk on through it. Jesus is there and he's gonna guide you through it, hmm. but you're gonna be walking through it. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Amen. And so I wanted to do this because in two weeks, I'm gonna talk about hope. All right. Right? So I figured let's not get, let's not go right to hope. Come on. Let's, let's talk about some of the sad things first. So in two weeks, we'll talk about hope and specifically, uh, Benedict's, um, uh, space salve. Awesome. So that'll be good. So there you go. You got anything else to say? Any final words, Father Harrison? I got nothing else to say. Excellent. Well, thank you for listening to the podcast that I'm going to find the script for. Thanks for listening. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. And seriously, do we have so many reviews? Thanks, guys. Keep sending nice reviews. Um, you are allowed to send bad reviews. I mean, you're free to do that. Would it make me sad? Yeah. Yeah, it would. But you're allowed to. Tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies, too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me devouring the Wendy's new breakfast menu. You can find me at FR Harrison on Twitter. Contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. Check out our Patreon if you want to support what we're doing. Clericallyspeaking at patreon.com. And uh, peace. God bless.